0: There are so many ways you can support HUG. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome, friends, to Heart to Heart with Anna. This is your host, Anna Jaworski, and I'm very excited about today's show, The Genetics of Congenital Heart Defects. This is the fifth episode of Season 1, and it originally aired on December 12, 2013. Today's guests are heart mom Jennifer Reed, Dr. Angela Shirley from Deseret Genetics, CHD survivor Ben Weisbuck from the Heart Hope Foundation and Dr. Woody Benson from Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. And we will be discussing what new genetic tests are available to assist with the diagnosis of congenital heart defects and other problems, who should have genetic testing, and how genetic testing can save lives.
1: Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna,
0: This episode of Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Our purpose is to empower members of our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. The George, Patto Edwards, and Allergio Syndrome. What do all of these syndromes have in common? They are all chromosomal disorders that have a 75% or higher incidence of congenital heart defects associated with them. There are, in fact, 15 different recognize chromosomal disorders that have a 25% incidence or higher of an associated congenital heart defect. For some of these syndromes, the heart defect is not the major source of concern because so many other factors are even more worrisome. Thanks to the Human Genome Project, we are finally discovering how changes at the chromosomal level may be the cause of some heart defects, what those changes at the molecular level do to the human body, and hopefully, In the future, we'll be able to use science to combat these disorders before the afflicted babies are even born. Today, our topic is genetics in the congenital heart defect community. CHDs affect at least one in 100 births, according to the Children's Heart Foundation. Some researchers believe this may be a very conservative estimate. Our guests today are Jennifer Reed and her geneticist, Dr. Angela Shirley. Ben Wisebook of the Heart to Hope Foundation, and Professor of Pediatrics and Director of Pediatric Cardiac Research at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Dr. Woody Benson. Jennifer Reed is a coordinator at Mended Little Hearts of Dallas, Texas. Jennifer Reed is currently a senior at the University of Texas at Tyler and a special education instructional aide at Campton High School in Canton, Texas. She is a mother of two girls, Adeline, five years old and healthy, and Olivia, 18 months old with hypoplastic left heart syndrome coarctation of the aorta, bilateral superior vena cava, arthritis, oh goodness, I knew I was going to stumble over this, but I'll have her tell me about later. This is one of her birth defects that's very complicated, scoliosis, gastroesophageal reflux disorder, also known as GERDs, reactive airway disease, chronic lung disease, and 22q11.2 distal deletion. Jennifer's geneticist has been working hard with her to establish a genetic connection between her daughter's heart defect and a genetic condition in her family. Their chromosomal deletion is extremely rare, and Dr. Shirley is working on determining if there is a genetic connection between hypoplastic left heart syndrome and their birth defect. Dr. Angela Shirley is a pediatric clinical geneticist. She fell in love with genetics as a sophomore in high school and never looked back. She received her bachelor's degree from Sewanee, the University of the South, and her MD from the University of South Florida College of Medicine. Dr. Angela Shirley completed a pediatric residency in Cincinnati and genetics fellowship at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. Her board certifications are in pediatric, clinical genetics, and molecular genetics. She also completed an ethics fellowship at the University of Chicago. Dr. Angela Shirley practices at Tesserade Genetics in Dallas, Texas, and is adjunct faculty at the University of Texas Southwestern. She helps care for persons of all ages with birth defects, intellectual disabilities, and genetic conditions. She also works in public health genetics at the state and national level, including the process to expand screening of newborns for genetic diseases and birth defects. We'll meet Ben Weisbrook of the Heart Hope Foundation and Dr. Woody Benson, Professor of Pediatrics and Director of Pediatric Cardiac Research at the Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, later in our show. Welcome to the fifth episode of Heart to Heart with Anna, Jennifer and Dr. Angela Shirley. Thank you. So Jennifer, you told me that you have a family history of, now how do you pronounce it, arthrograposis?
2: Yes, arthrograposis,
0: that's correct. Finally got it right, couldn't do it in the intro, but arthrograposis, which is a condition I never heard of before I met you, so can you tell us what it is and who in your family has been affected with it and also
2: how it's treated? Well, arthrogryposis, the meaning of that word actually means crooked or stuck joints. So basically, ours is a distal form of arthrogryposis, which affects the outer limbs, like our hands and feet, elbows, knees, hips. And we can go back as far as my great-great-grandfather to find evidence that he had arthrogryposis as well it goes along my father's side my father has it he has a sister and a brother that has it and each of them have one child that shows symptoms of possibly having arthrogryposis and then my sister and i both have it and we're the only children that my father has so both of us got it and then i have two girls and only one of my daughters has it
0: Wow, that's just amazing. So how is that treated?
2: My father and back, they were never treated for it. We first started having treatment with my sister. She was a patient at Texas Scottish Rite Hospital for Children, as well as I, starting at two weeks once they discovered that we had the condition. And I've had six ankle surgeries to reconstruct them. And my sister has had cosmetic reconstruction surgery on her hands, but basically there's not really a lot other than bracing or cosmetic type surgeries that you can do with the particular form that my family has. They can really only go and try to reconstruct the joints to remedy that. So and it doesn't always work.
0: That's an amazing situation. So I'm guessing that since your grandfather and your father, and it sounds like some aunts and uncles were affected by it, that they were looking at that as a possibility with both you and your sister.
2: Yes. They didn't actually diagnose any of us with it until I was close to being a teenager. I may have actually been a teenager when they did. They just knew we had something. And I was actually the one that went through all the testing to actually get that diagnosis. Which included some shock therapy in needles to see how our muscles moved with everything. So there wasn't ever really a diagnosis for it until I was about a teenager.
0: Wow. Wow. You know, it amazes me how far we've come in our knowledge of the human body just in the last several decades. It really is amazing. So were you surprised to discover that your daughter had hypoplastic left heart syndrome in addition to this other birth defect?
2: Well, we were very surprised by both. We actually saw a paleontologist during my pregnancy because we wanted to rule out whether or not Olivia was going to have... Arthrogryposis. If they did show signs that she had it, they needed to have some specialists there at her delivery because it can be hard being born with the arthrogryposis. So it was ruled out when I was pregnant with her, and they did fetal echo on her heart to see if there was anything there. And her hypoplastic left heart syndrome actually developed after 31 weeks of pregnancy. So we didn't find out until about 10 hours after she was born in May of 2012, that she had either the hypoplastic or the orthogaposis.
0: Wow. Well, you have your geneticist on with you, Dr. Angela Shirley. And so I'd like to turn some questions to her and ask her, Dr. Shirley, can you tell us what kind of testing you've done with Jennifer's family? She said that there wasn't even a test available until she was a teenager. So can you tell us what kind of testing is available today?
3: Sure. What you need to remember is that, Genetic testing and genetics in general has undergone a revolution starting in 1989. The Human Genome Project started a couple of years later, but the first gene that was found by the process we now typically do was the gene for cystic fibrosis, and then it snowballed from there. So it's not at all concerning that someone who is more than, say, 25 years old would have had no genetic testing at any time because the test simply didn't exist. Uh. Um, The testing that we do today even has made obsolete testing we did as recently as five years ago, so it changes all the time. The test that we do today in a child born with a congenital heart defect is a test called a chromosome microarray. The way I explain it is that if looking at the genetic material through a microscope, and you can see chromosomes through a microscope... Is like looking at the city from an airplane. I can tell you a big stuff, but I can't tell you if my mailmans come. <laughs> right. Doing the chromosome microarray is like knowing what mailboxes have mail in them. Uh, oh, wow. And okay, so it's much more detailed, but it's still not the same as reading the alphabet of a gene, looking at a specific gene to stay with my analogy. It's like going to my mailbox, pulling out my water bill, and seeing what I owe. It's looking for a specific piece of information in a specific place. So what we start with now is the chromosome microarray, this mailman test. Mm -hmm. Um, That is now pretty much the standard test we do in any child who's born with a birth defect, but in particular with congenital heart defects. As you mentioned at the top of the show, we're looking for things like the DeGeorge syndrome and other changes that we know are associated with heart defects. So that's the first pass. But with any medical condition, including birth defects, we always start in the same place, which was with a history and a physical exam. And that's where we started with Olivia, just like we start with every other patient is tell me the story of the patient. Tell me about the pregnancy, tell me about the family, tell me about how the child has done since she's been born. And now we do a physical exam. In addition to the heart defect, what else is going on? As, mm-hmm. as you've already heard, in this case, there was the arthrogryposis. So we have this somewhat unusual combination of a child with arthrogryposis, which is obviously something that has run in the family, but with, in this case, a congenital heart defect. Because as far as I know, as far as any of us know, Olivia is the only person in the family who has a heart problem. So that's the process, history, physical exam, And then we start with general testing, and then if there's anything else that that story so far tells us, we go for more specific testing.
0: Wow, it's very involved then. So this is not the kind of testing that just anybody would have. So who should seek genetic counseling?
3: Well, you have to understand that I have a biased opinion about this. (laughs) Um, But the general suggestion is that anyone who has a family member with a birth defect or anyone who has a problem that seems to run in the family deserves a chance to talk to someone who's an expert in that field. And that's sort of where I come from. There certainly are genetic conditions which pediatricians and internists are incredibly comfortable dealing with. So involvement of a geneticist may be a touch base with this person and then go back if there are questions, but it doesn't need to be an involved process. And the easy example in pediatrics is Down syndrome, um, Mm -hmm. which is very common and there are good practice managements and recommended testing and management of those kids. And most of the pediatricians these days are very comfortable having children with Down syndrome in their practice. So, you know, you don't need a geneticist after the chromosomes, other than to talk about after the chromosomes are back. With more involved or more unusual conditions, having genetics involved is basically having a diagnostician involved. What you have to remember is that The heart doctors are looking at the baby's heart, and the orthopedic doctors are looking at the baby's hands, and then I'm going to just make stuff up. The eye doctor is looking at the baby's eyes, and so different doctors are looking at different pieces of the patient. Like the pediatrician, the geneticist is one of those people that tries to tie everything together. And our goal in general is to see if we can put enough clues together, enough puzzle pieces together. To see what the picture on the top of the box looks like.
0: Absolutely. It's like you're a detective. Yes.
3: Yeah, hmm. precisely. Yeah.
0: Wow. Well, I hope I can do some more shows later that deal with genetics because this is a fascinating subject to me and I can see you have a lot more that you could share with our listeners, but unfortunately, we're going to have to go to a commercial break. I want to thank Jennifer Reed and Dr. Angela Shirley for being guests on the show. I so appreciate you sharing your experience and your expertise with us. We will go for a short commercial break and when we return, you'll get a chance to meet Ben Weisbrook, find out how he faced death repeatedly and why he thinks genetic testing is so important that he's willing to put his money where his mouth is.
1: Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events And she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna.
0: Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community Today, we are talking with Jennifer Reed and her geneticist, Dr. Angela Shirley, Ben Weisbuck of the Heart Hope Foundation, and Professor of Pediatrics and Director of Pediatric Cardiac Research at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Dr. Woody Benson. We just finished talking with Jennifer Reed, a mother who sought genetic counseling for her family, and her genetic counselor, Dr. Angela Shirley. Now, we will turn our attention to Ben Weisbuck. On July 18, 2010, Ben Weisberg suffered his first episode of Sudden Cardiac Arrest, or SCA. His wife, Miranda, saved his life. Ben spent five days in a coma and underwent heart surgery, but managed to walk out of the hospital under his own power. Over the next three years, Ben survived over 140 separate episodes of SCA. He came close to death several times, suffering sepsis, kidney and liver failure, and six heart surgeries. One night, a rabbi prayed over Ben, expecting him to die. Genetic testing and research helped save Ben's life. It also reassured Ben and Miranda that their son would not have the same gene that caused Ben's SCA. Armed with this information, Ben and Miranda were able to have more children without fear of SCA. In 2013, Ben and Miranda co-founded the Heart Hope Foundation. They wanted to provide other families with the same access to the best genetic care and preventative medicine available. They wanted to fund genetic cardiac research to eventually eradicate SCA. We'll also meet Dr. Willie Benson, Professor of Pediatrics and Director of Pediatric Cardiac Research at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin later in our show. So welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Ben.
4: It's my pleasure, Anna. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, it's my pleasure to talk to you because I've never met anybody who has endured so many separate episodes of SCA. When did you suffer your first episode and can you tell us what you remember?
4: It was July 18, 2010. At that time, I was 37 years old. What I can remember, my wife and I had just returned from our honeymoon. We arrived late at night. We were so tired, I'd left my keys in the front door. We went to bed literally dreaming about our love and our life future together. I woke up. I'm a lawyer, so I started to text a client. And about in the middle of the text, I felt sleepy, and I decided to give myself a nap. I lay down on the bed, and I woke up five days later in the hospital. My wife, fortunately, she had gone downstairs, and then she decided to come back up to the bedroom. And she saw me fall. I gasped for breath. My eyes rolled back into my head, and at some point, she said, I stopped breathing. She picked up my cell phone, which I had dropped on the bed. She called 911. In about three or four or five minutes, they arrived at our house. They pulled me off the bed. They shocked me six times. And fortunately, they put me into a hypothermic coma, and in about five days, I woke up to my wife's voice saying that there was a problem with my heart and that they didn't know if I had suffered brain damage, and I feared that, of course, and then she did pants. She says, but you're a lawyer, Ben. Uh, You had brain damage going into the hospital, so not to worry. After that, they took me to a different hospital in Ohio. They implanted at that time, which was an experimental internal defibrillator. And I think at that point, I was the 14th person in the country to receive the device, 200th in the world. The device malfunctioned over the next year and a half to the point that one night I had 91 firings in six hours. There was so much energy that I actually had burn marks on my back and chest from the inside out. Um, They implanted different defibrillators none of which seemed to stop the occurrence. So my wife and I sought out experts across the world. We spoke to geneticists in Italy, finally a geneticist in Ohio, Dr. Peter Moeller, and a genetic counselor, Amy Sturm. They evaluated my DNA, and they decided that they had never seen what I had. They couldn't diagnose exactly what was causing my sudden cardiac arrest. They mapped my entire genome. The first time that the Ohio State University Medical Center has mapped the genome of a heart patient, all three billion base pairs. They found one letter, one, one protein, one mutated protein out of place. They then tested the DNA of my family. My mom died of sudden cardiac arrest 10 years ago, and they definitively diagnosed that this mutated gene had caused the irregularities in my heartbeat. The discovery led then to understanding of my own personal biology and how my cells transfer potassium and sodium and calcium across the membrane of the cells. This has led to new treatment, drug treatment, using an orphan drug used for an entirely different disease. This is the first time I have been told that this drug has been used for a heart patient. So essentially, I'm in a trial of one across the country. And this seems to have quelled the sudden cardiac arrest episodes.
0: Wow, so you're a pioneer. Who, me? Yes, you. No,
4: I'm just the lucky guy who is too stubborn to die. And the (laughs) the pioneers, all the credit is owed and due to the incredible researchers and brilliant scientists and genetic counselors and the lucky few of us who survive sudden cardiac arrest. As you know, 95 to 97% of people who suffer sudden cardiac arrest die before they get to the hospital. So I'm not a pioneer, I'm just lucky.
0: Well, I think you're more than just lucky. I think God has a plan for you, and I think what you're doing with the Heart Hope Foundation is part of that plan. I love how you've taken something that could have just been totally devastating, and instead of letting it traumatize you, you've turned it into a vehicle for doing good. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing with this Heart Hope Foundation?
4: Thank you. The mission of the Heart Hope Foundation is to eradicate inherited cardiac diseases, through genetic testing and innovative research. And the way we pursue that is we provide subsidies to individuals to offset the out-of-pocket costs that they need to get their genetics tested. As you know, it's very expensive in some cases to get genetics tested, and a lot of people, most people, don't have the out-of-pocket funds to pay for those out-of-pocket costs. The Harthold Foundation bookend, on the other side, the second program is funding micro-grants, to the best ideas in game-changing research for cardiac diseases, such as to researchers who don't always get the limelight, don't always get the funds. And these game-changing ideas can go to medical researchers. They can go to genetic counselors. They also can go to software engineers and other people who are proposing game-changing ideas to redefine the the finding solutions uh, for inherited cardiac diseases, If I can give a plug to our website, Anna, I'd appreciate being able to do that. Absolutely. Heart Hope Foundation can be found at www.HeartHopeFoundation.org, just like it sounds, HeartHopeFoundation.org. We can be found on Facebook, and that is at Facebook.com slash Heart Hope Foundation. We currently are taking donations, and we would be happy to speak to anyone who is on the same mission as we are to eradicate heart diseases using genetic research. And I can't thank you enough for having me on the show today.
0: Well, I'm so excited to learn that the Heart Hope Foundation exists, and there will be a link to it on the Voice America Heart and channel page that has the Heart to Heart with Anna show on it. So there's a variety of places that people will be able to find you, and I'm so happy that my show can be one of those vehicles to get the word out about what you're doing. Thank you. I'm so stunned at what you've gone through and that it seems like, a very rare, hopefully this is very rare, incident that has happened to you. I've heard of long QT syndrome, which I know is genetic, and that has problems with arrhythmias, which can cause somebody to die. But yours sounds different than long QT syndrome.
4: Yes, it is different. In fact, it's different than any known disease. After about a year and a half, my electrocardiophysiologist and my cardiologist sat me down, and they said, we don't know what you have. And I said, well, how many people in the United States do you know have what I have? And they said, nobody. And then I said, well, surely somebody in the world, you've seen what my electrocardiogram looks like, surely somebody across the world. And they said, we really don't know. That sparked us to look for the genetic cause. I have something that, like a lot of people out there, have unique genetic makeup. With my disease, people just don't survive. And so you asked about the meaning. What's important to me personally is to prevent what happened to me and my wife who spent about 30 days not knowing if she would be a widow or a newlywed from happening to anybody else, and then to give to others well, the opportunities that we have had. They have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on me personally in dedicating entire laboratories to figuring out what has caused my disease. I'm not sure if they're going to name the disease after me or the researcher. Um, frankly, <laughs> I think it, doesn't, it, it doesn't
0: matter. <laughs> or the researcher, yeah, we can maybe have a hyphenated name for it once they finally pinpoint exactly what it is. So it is very rare, thankfully, because it sounds like it's a terrifying disease. It took your mother early. It almost took you. If your wife had not been right on top of things, it sounds to me like you probably would not be here talking to me today. It sounds like up until this point, you were leading a totally normal life. You became a lawyer. Nothing like this happened when you were in your teens, which is when a lot of changes take place in the human body, or even when you were in your 20s. I mean, you were in your mid to late 30s before this happened, so what kind What kind of signs should people look for to know whether or not they should get genetic testing? Well, I had no warning.
4: i would played hockey internationally. I've been an athlete all my life and absolutely had no warning. As I said, my mom died of sudden cardiac arrest and at the time, no one told me to go test the genetics. I would advise others who have a history of any heart disease in their family to approach a genetic counselor. Genetic cardiac counseling is a very new field. It's been around seven, maybe 10 years. I would absolutely advise someone to get tested and to approach a counselor. That's what the Heart Hope Foundation is there for, to help bridge the gap between the costs to pursue this. But I absolutely 100% would advise family members to take proactive, preventative steps to test themselves. There's a story of a family in Dallas who's father was diagnosed with a long QT syndrome and he almost died. He survived. His daughters were tested and one of them had long QT syndrome. She took the preventative step of having an ICD implanted. The next week, she's dribbling a basketball and she falls over and has a sudden cardiac arrest. She was saved. And the the point is, is that she survived. I survived. I have children. Those children will have children and thousands and thousands of hundreds of thousands of lives that will be spared from the technology that exists especially getting genetics tested, it's overwhelming, it's unbelievable. I've been told that already families in Europe have been diagnosed with my genetic mutation. So I advise people to take the step, believe their voices in their head when they say there might be something wrong, and take active steps to prevent their sudden cardiac or other genetic heart diseases.
0: Well, Ben, you've been such an inspiration to me sharing your story. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, I have to take a commercial break.
4: It's my pleasure, Anna. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, absolutely. This was so informative. When we get back, we'll be talking to the world's leading geneticist and find out what he thinks the future of genetics in the congenital heart defect community is and how it has been changed over time. Thanks, and we'll be back soon.
4: Texas Heart Institute were offering us a mechanical heart, and he said, no, Dad, I've had enough. Give it to someone who's worthy.
3: My father promised me a golden dress to twirl in. He held my hand and asked me where I wanted to go.
4: Whatever strife or conflict that we experienced
5: in our long career together was always healed by humor.
4: Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern as we talk with people from around the world
1: who have experienced those most difficult moments. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at Hearttoheartwithanna dot com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna.
0: Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today, we are talking with Jennifer Reed and her geneticist, Dr. Angela Shirley, Ben Weisbach of the Heart Hope Foundation, and Professor of Pediatrics and Director of Pediatric Cardiac Research at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Dr. Woody Benson. Today, we have heard from Jennifer Reed and her geneticist, Dr. Angela Shirley, about the need for certain families to undergo genetic testing. We've also heard from Ben Weisbuck, who faced death and lived not only to share his story, but also to create a foundation to help others who need genetic testing. And now we will talk with Dr. Woody Benson. Dr. Benson is Professor of Pediatrics and Director of Pediatric Cardiac Research at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Medical College of Wisconsin. And he attended medical and graduate school at Emory University. He obtained a Ph.D. in biomathematics and biomedical engineering at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill and an M.D. from Duke University. Pediatric residency and cardiology fellowship were completed at Duke Medical Center. Early in his career, he pursued interests in cardiac electrophysiology and introduced this discipline to pediatric cardiology. In 1986, he became director of cardiology at Children's Memorial Hospital, Northwestern. In mid-career, under the auspices of a NIH Senior Fellowship, he trained to become an investigator in the molecular genetics of pediatric heart disease, subsequently pursuing patient-oriented genetic research. Dr. Benson's investigations identified the role of mutations in pediatric heart disease and established by cuspid aortic valve as a complex genetic disorder. Dr. Benson, you may be one of those pioneers who helped to save Ben's life. I'm going to welcome you to the show. It's just such an honor for me to be with you, but in reading this small paragraph about you, because I know there's so much more about you that I just don't have the time to get into, you could be one of the people, because of the research that you've done, that contributed to Ben Weisberg being alive today.
5: Yes, I think it's been a very exciting addition to medicine, improving our understanding of problems that were mystifying without genetic insight.
0: Absolutely. Well, in doing research for this episode, I was completely overwhelmed by the research that has been conducted in the field of pediatric cardiology regarding the role of genetics and how that may play a role in the development of congenital heart defects. You know, when my son was identified with a heart defect, that's one of the questions that my husband and I were wondering about was, did a gene cause this? And the doctors at that time, which was 19 years ago, told us, oh no, it's a fluke of nature. I think that maybe the scientific world is started to think it's not such a fluke anymore. So can you tell us what the current beliefs are regarding the role of genetics in possibly developing congenital heart defects?
5: Yes, I think in terms of the question that you and your husband had and my experience as a clinician, this is one of the most important questions that all families have eventually is what caused this to happen. And I think early in our discipline, several decades ago, based on the experience of teratogens and these would be maternal rubella, the mother gets German measles and this would affect the fetus the effects of high altitude on heart malformations and then really the unpleasant experience with the medication thalidomide in the 1960s really, I think, led physicians to focus on the role of environmental factors. So there were some very large epidemiologic studies done looking for environmental factors and one of the more famous ones was the Baltimore-Washington Infant Study They didn't find any major environmental effects, a lot of small effects, but no no major ones. And at the same time, people were aware of an association of congenital heart defects with easily identified chromosomal abnormalities like Down syndrome or trisomy 21. But it was only in the late 1990s that we developed the capability, and this was all a spinoff of the Human Genome Project, developed the capability to identify single genes that cause heart defects. And at the same time, there were other technical advances that led us to the FISH test, the microarray that you heard mentioned earlier. And so I think now there's really been a major change in thinking that most of the congenital heart defects that we see do have a genetic component to them. A major contributor is the genetic abnormality. We understand the genetics in some instances, but still, I would say, largely in most cases, we still don't know the cause, although we're pursuing the genetic causes.
0: Well, I remember about 15 years ago, there were some scientists who were saying that it's probably not something simple. It's probably not just genetics to explain all of the heart defects. And it's probably not just environmental, but that there's probably an interplay between the two that causes most of the heart defects. Would you agree with that?
5: Yes. And I think although we have found some single genes, you can also have genetic conditions where the inheritance is complex, so it takes more than one genetic abnormality. I and mean, I think the challenge is going to be nailing down exactly what the genetic and environmental contributors are because I think it's with this information then that we would be able to advise families about their risk, how to avoid risk, and so forth.
0: Absolutely. Well, when I was doing my research, I came across one particular defect 22q11.2 deletion syndrome. I don't know if that's how you scientists usually refer to it. It looks pretty complicated but I actually found a fairly large group of people on Facebook who suffer from this and they told me that there's premature death in adults who are afflicted with that chromosomal mutation. So I was told that they're actually doing some research in Canada where they're trying to identify adults who may have this chromosomal mutation. Do you know if the same kind of thing is happening here in the United States?
5: Well, I think this chromosome 22Q11 syndrome really tells us a lot about what we know and what we don't know and sort of points in a direction of how we're going to go. So this genetic syndrome was known by several names, George syndrome, Sprintzen syndrome, Velo-cardiofacial syndrome, conotroncal anomaly, face syndrome, and so forth, indicating that physicians around the world had recognized a constellation of abnormalities. But it was only in the 1990s that we identified what the genetic problem was. And now the genetic test gives us A different kind of gold standard than we had clinically. And we've learned that if you're looking at infants with critical congenital heart defects, so infants who may need surgery early in life, that the 22Q11 deletion is pretty common. But we've also learned if you are looking at older children or adults who have developmental disability that they could also have the 22Q deletion and they may not have any heart defect at all. So depending on the patient group that you're looking at, this could have a very high incidence of heart defects. There are certain particular types of heart defects that have been associated but I think if you look at a large number of patients with this genetic abnormality that the heart defects are quite varied. As As our field has matured, now we have survivors of surgery who are living into the second, third, fourth, fifth decade that we're beginning to learn about aspects of the heart problem that we really weren't aware of. 30 or 40 years ago, we didn't have really nearly as good a surgical result and so a lot of our patients didn't really live long enough to have the problems that we see in adult life. So I think this report from Canada is shocking that adult patients with this genetic abnormality, some of whom didn't have any congenital heart defect at all, still seem to have this risk for dying suddenly. And I think the thing that's sort of humbling to think about is that when somebody has a genetic abnormality like this, it affects every cell in the body that has this genetic abnormality. Clinically, we're used to seeing the most obvious manifestations of the problem. But in some instances, it may take many years for the full manifestations to become known. So I think in regard to the problem of the concern about sudden death and people with this genetic syndrome, we're still learning. So I think individuals that have this condition need to learn about advocacy because they're learning about their problem sort of at the same time that their physician, because I think as one of your earlier speakers pointed out, a lot of the genetic testing that we have today wasn't really available 20 years ago.
0: I know it's just amazing to me how much we are learning and it seems like exponentially faster we are learning things today than what we were just 20 or 30 years ago. So what kind of advice would you give to parents who are dealing with families that have more than one child who's affected with a congenital heart defect? Is that the kind of family who should definitely seek genetic testing?
5: Absolutely and I think Still, this is another situation where the families who are highly motivated to learn everything they can about their child's problems, they may actually know more than their physician if he trained more than 20 years ago. And so I think this is one situation where it's really the parents who are leading the revolution and they need to be reassured that it's perfectly okay to ask their doctor the hard question You know, Doctor, we read an article in Time Magazine last week that mentioned a gene that had been associated with a condition like our son has. Have you tested him for that? And I think it's activities like your radio show that parents become better informed about things and know the questions to ask. So I would say in that situation... The only thing that the parents have any control over is their own sense that they've gotten all the information that's available.
0: Wow. You're a very powerful speaker, Dr. Benson. I really appreciate you giving us your time and helping us understand this very complex subject of genetics and thank you for the detective work that you've been doing to try to determine what the exact cause of congenital heart defects may be and to give the scientists an opportunity to pinpoint where the problems lie because this is how we're going to find a cure and I think you're right, it's going to take parents working with doctors and scientists, we all have to work together for this. Unfortunately, now I have to take another commercial break but I want to thank you Dr. Benson, you are an outstanding guest.
5: Well, thank you, and keep up your good work.
0: Well, thank you. I intend to. We will take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we will have our miracle moment where we will be hearing the story of how one young woman who was born with a congenital heart defect herself decided to have a baby against her doctor's advice and what happened to both her and her baby.
1: Summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at heart to heart with Anna dot com. That's Anna. At hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna.
0: Welcome back to Heart to Heart with Anna. And now for our miracle moment. Today's miracle moment is an excerpt from the book The Heart of a Mother, and it's from the chapter entitled Mothers with Congenital Heart Defects. This is from Becky Lavall's beautiful essay entitled A Healthy Baby. The day after I learned I was pregnant, I called my cardiologist. I was born with a congenital heart defect called transposition of the great arteries and when I was 16 months old, I underwent the mustard procedure. The surgery was successful and though I have experienced cardiac symptoms such as occasional arrhythmias, fatigue and shortness of breath, I never had any problems. Still, because of my condition, I knew I should be monitored so I called my pediatric cardiologist and asked for a referral to a new cardiologist. I felt embarrassed being 23 years old, pregnant, and still going to the local children's hospital for treatment. He gave me the names of a few cardiologists who specialized in the treatment of adults with congenital heart defects. We then chatted for a few minutes about my health, and he asked me what else was going on. I hesitated because I still had not told anyone about my pregnancy except for my husband. But then I just blurted out, I'm pregnant. I will never forget the silence or the words that followed. You are not planning on keeping the pregnancy, are you? I felt as if I were going to be sick. Somehow I managed to express that I wanted to have the baby I was carrying. My doctor immediately apologized for having been so abrupt. He explained to me that because of my condition, pregnancy might be very dangerous for me, possibly life-threatening. He urged me to see one of the specialists as soon as possible to determine whether or not I would be able to keep the pregnancy. When I hung up the phone, I began to wonder why no doctor had ever mentioned the possible dangers to me before. The excitement over my pregnancy transformed into silence between my husband and me. There were many heavy sighs and cautious stares in our household. Finally, it was time to meet with my new cardiologist. I had grown accustomed to a very personal one-on-one relationship with my pediatric cardiologist. I was shocked when my husband and I were waiting in the examination room and three doctors and a nurse came in. One of the doctors began by telling me that they would not discuss my pregnancy until they had examined me. They also warned me that it was possible that they might recommend termination of the pregnancy, dependent on my condition. They emphasized that to protect my own health, I needed to follow their recommendations regarding the pregnancy, whatever they may be. My husband and I looked at each other and then agreed. After an examination and an echocardiogram, they led me back to the examining room. I could hear the muffled voices of the doctors discussing my case in the hallway. When they came back into the room, it seemed as though the tension had lifted somewhat, although the doctor's demeanor was still very serious. They informed me that based upon their examination, they believed I could continue the pregnancy. Then the doctors told me about something I had not even considered, the possibility that my child might have a congenital heart defect. Although CHD is generally not believed to be hereditary, there seems to be a slightly higher incidence of it among the offspring of people who had a CHD themselves, which warrants fetal testing. A fetal echocardiogram would be done between the fourth and fifth months of my pregnancy to determine the health of my child's heart. Again, the doctors told me that if they suggested an abortion at that point in the pregnancy, I should highly consider following the recommendations. With all of these things racing through my mind, I set up my next appointment, thanked them, and said goodbye. As we walked out of the elevator toward the car, Chris said to me, if there is anything wrong with the baby's heart, I want you to abort. I can't even express how stunned and hurt I was when I heard him say this. Did this mean he would not love a child of ours if it were not perfect? I know he was just scared, but it hurt me so badly to think about aborting my child, especially if there were a problem that could be fixed. I also began to wonder, if my parents had known of my defect before I was born, would they have chosen to abort me? Due to time limitations, I have to stop reading Becky's beautiful essay here, but I recommend you all get a copy of The Heart of a Mother and turn to page 260 to read Becky's essay. I won't leave you in suspense. I think Becky's title, A Healthy Baby, strongly hints at the outcome of her pregnancy. Lucky for Becky and Chris, their son was born without a heart defect, and Becky endured the birthing process successfully. In light of what we've just learned in our episode today, I would say that this indeed was a miracle moment. That concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. I hope you'll come back next week when our show will be called Cora's law and why it's important until then please find and like us on facebook check out our website and remember my friends you are not alone
1: thank you again for joining us this week we hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community heart to heart with anna with your host anna jaworski can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week.